Let's all humble our hearts. Almighty Father, as we look to you for all things, as we look to you for life itself, we thank you for this time we've had together. It's always hard the last day. But we know that there can be greater days ahead. And this is just a foreshadow of something that will be unbelievably wonderful. When your kingdom comes to this earth, and you will have the entire earth keeping your days, honoring you, keeping your Sabbath. We look forward to that time, just a few of us now, but one day the entire world will be honoring you. So so we're so grateful for this time that we can learn about you. We can look forward to that time, that it might be a blessing to us and inspiration as we go through the weeks and months ahead, waiting for your next Moedim. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll be with us, May your words speak to us through your word and that we might contemplate what we have done this past week and anticipate something greater. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. I put in, the, put in that song together with that special of Austin. You know, Yahweh breathed in the breath of life, giving man, making him come alive. And we can use that same breath that he gave us to return the favor, something beautiful through music, as David did for Saul. It's, uh, it's amazing how things work together sometimes in Yahweh, Yahweh's plan and creation. And that's what I'm talking about today. Understanding the seven annual observances of the Bible is to grasp the fundamentals of salvation. You know, these appointed times offer a wealth of insider truth that the churches are missing. They don't, they don't even talk about these days, except maybe something their Jews are doing out there. Keys to when Yahshua will return and descriptions of who will be saved and why and how. They also point to the knowledge that we can have access to salvation if we are faithful to him. All of this is bundled in seven observances that are spread throughout three pilgrim gatherings. Next one, of course, would be Pentecost, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks. Lots of names in that feast, but uh, it's all the same thing. In seven weeks plus one, 50 days. The common notion, or real, if not assumed, is that The Old Testament and its feasts were just concerned with ancient Israel's exploits, what they did, what they were required to do, what they had to go through, just because, just because Yahweh wanted them to. And so based on that misunderstanding alone, they minimized the Old Testament in favor of, of course, the New Covenant, the New Testament. Big mistake. And the more we get into the truth in Yahweh's word, the more we understand how important that first covenant was. And it wasn't just for Israel. Aspects, key aspects of it continue on into the new covenant, of course. Telling today's Bible student that salvation is taught in the Old Testament is tantamount to also saying that the Holy Spirit is a powerful part of the Old Testament. They'd have a hard time believing that. Because of the drama of Pentecost in Acts 2, everybody thinks, oh, well, the Holy Spirit came 
be a good quiz question. When did it come? Acts 2 at Pentecost. Not quite. Holy Spirit was active all over the Old Testament. It's all part of today's Old Testament amnesia. You know, I recently counted 47 verses in the Old Testament. 47 verses speaking of salvation and how to attain it. Who would have thought salvation in the Old Testament? It's there. Take your strongs out sometime and go through each verse of the Old Testament that has that word salvation in it. We need another publication, I think, here, and I've been thinking about it. These two hidden truths. Salvation in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I, I tend to want to show people the continuity of the scriptures, old and new. And I think that would be a good one. That would show a lot of truth. But anyway, uh, Yahweh uses the metaphors of agriculture all through his word. All through his word. Why, where does everything start? It started in a garden. It all started in a garden, not in downtown Gotham City. He refers to his called out as first fruits. First fruits aren't the main harvest, as we learned yesterday with Abib. First fruits are the start of the harvest, a small part of the harvest. And that speaks volumes about us and the word that we are to take into our hearts and, and share with others. First fruits are the cream of the crop, that part that matures first. They are the abi barley we search for in the spiritual sense. We're looking for those Yahweh is called. The abi, the first fruits of many who will later be called into a general harvest. We search for, in a spiritual sense, what we do literally this time of year, looking for that grain so we, so we can establish Yahweh's feast days. Well, Yahshua, of course, is the first of these first fruits, continuing on with the you know, the agricultural motif. He took the necessary steps on the salvation pathway and became an example for us. We follow him because he showed us the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except by him. He says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You're not going to see masses of people coming to keep Passover and the feast because the masses represent the main harvest. Main harvest comes later. He's out calling out a, a select few right now. Right now as the first fruits. And they get the better rewards. The firstborn in scripture always got double the, uh, the inheritance. So the first fruits, which are kind of like firstborn, get the greater blessing. A believer's life is one of molding his or her character into something that Yahshua can use in his kingdom. We're called a kingdom of priests, one day to serve as priests in his kingdom. We have to be trained in his ways. His ways are not our ways. They're not the ways of a church. They're the ways of his truth. 2 Peter 1.10, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be administered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our master and savior, Yahshua Messiah. If salvation were easy, if salvation were automatic, why did Peter write 
this. Why did he say, give diligence to make your calling and election sure? Your calling is sure, but the election, that's, that, therein lies the rub. Many are called, but few are chosen. You've got to be diligent to make sure you are one of the chosen. How do you do that? First of all, you obey him by such things as his Sabbath, his feast days, and all the commandments and so forth. That's making your calling and election sure. If salvation were easy, we wouldn't have to worry about that. Diligence. Spudazo in the Greek means earnest labor. Make earnest labor to make sure your calling is sure. Quite a contrast to the popular belief that you are saved by a simple confession. Just say the sinner's prayer and you're in. That's not what the Bible says. I never. I, I keep looking for that sinner's prayer. Somewhere, they keep talking about it. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere, but I don't think so. You know, the president doesn't fill his cabinet posts with inexperienced mavericks who aren't going to toe the line who don't really know what they're doing. Yahweh will not surround himself with unrepentant sinners. Sin will not exist in the kingdom. It won't be a part of it. Galatians 5.19 lists the works of the flesh. And then verse 21 says, They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. Same message, 1 Corinthians 6.9. Paul said, The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom. Simple. Simple to understand. But most, most people don't understand Yahweh's grand plan for the human creation. They don't. They haven't put the pieces together yet. They get bits and pieces out there from their minister or from the church, but nobody puts it together. What does it all mean? So they come to us with questions about all this, about salvation, about the kingdom, about who are his people, all this stuff that fits together in a nice mosaic when a whole picture or panorama is shown before us. Then we understand it. They're just oblivious to the salvation plan because of ministerial malpractice. They're not teaching what they need to be teaching. People don't realize that Yahshua repeatedly referred to the, the, the gospel or the evangel of the kingdom. Those three words are always left out. The evangel, the gospel. But they leave out of the kingdom. That's, that's the majority of what he talked about. That's half of what he talked about when he came to teach his disciples. He talks about the coming kingdom as a whole purpose of this life. They missed the whole purpose of this life. Think about it. Most have no idea what he was talking about and don't know what happens after this life and the purpose they were given life on earth. They don't know what happens when you die. What do you do? Where do you go? Well, you go to heaven or you go to hell. That's all they know. Well, okay, what do you do there? Either one. Oh, I don't know. Uh, hop around on hot bricks, I guess, down below. And up, up there, you're just laying coolly on clouds and just strumming harps and... And uh, I got to apologize to Sister Messenthin. Last time I said that, I, I sounded like I was criticized. No, she plays beautiful, and that's, I love that sound. Love harp sound. I mean, that brings me to David, you know, playing before the king. But that's all they think they're going to do. They think that honoring and pleasing him by learning of his ways, such as keeping the Sabbath and feasts, is pointless and futile. One day they're going to find out they were dead on if they kept it. One day they're going to see otherwise. They'll say, your friends, family members that don't get it will say, one day, you were right. You were right. Man, I wish I'd listened to you back then. Kind of like the, you know, Lazarus and the rich man. Seeing the poor, 
poor man in the kingdom and himself shut out. Rich man shut out. I want to go there. Too late. There's a, there's a separation fixed. You can't go from one to the other. That's the whole point of Yasha's parable. Get it right now. Now's the time. I don't know if I should say this. We, uh, James, his last name sounds like do it now. So that's what the boys call him. So we're always, it, it's easy to remember do it now. But uh, I think, you know, he's, he's in here and he's always doing it now. So it fits him very well. But we need to do it now. You know, we need to get involved now. Others are going to have to learn the hard way. Zechariah 14, 19. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Why does Egypt seem to fit in many places? It's almost like they were the refuge point. You know, that's where Yasha's parents had gone. That's where, you know, Joseph went when they had a, a, you know, a, a dearth on earth. What did they do? They went to Egypt because Joseph was there preparing for, he knew it was going to be seven years of famine, so his brothers, his family came to Egypt. Egypt. Moses took people out of Egypt. There's something about Egypt. I haven't quite put it all together yet. I'm working on it. But um, this is mentioned right here. He mentioned the, the vast numbers of you know, others, nations, but he specifically calls out Egypt. There's a reason. You know, the Arabs, there's 12 tribes of Arabs too, like there's 12 tribes of Israel. There's some kind of simpatico going on here, but... Uh, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, they have another truth, but uh, one day they will. They'll come to the same truth that Israel has come to or should come to. The, keys are, the feasts are keys that unlock the salvation plan. What we do with our actions and our obedience now is going to determine what part we're going to have in that coming kingdom. We're going to be rewarded according to our, our works, Revelation tells us. Yahweh's holy times begin with Passover in the month Abib. When the green ears of barley are evident, that first dough appearance in the grain, that's abib. They're still green. Give it three or four weeks, they're going to be brown. You're going to be outside of abib. You're going to be in the next month. So that's why we have to catch it right there at that point. That's why the, the searchers are over there diligently, right before, sometimes a couple of weeks before, just to make sure they don't miss it. Because, uh, and I think I mentioned before that... Uh, we look for the wild barley because that's the most natural. But uh, it was told to one searcher that the government of Israel considers it the wild barley a noxious weed. So they're trying to eradicate it. Great. Um, but still, I don't think they could ever get all of it. And uh, because it takes room, you know, for the commercial barley, away from the commercial barley. So they just want to get rid of it. But that's what we look for. So the first month is critical because it determines the rest of the months, the rest of the feast. Off on the first month, you're off on the rest of the feast. It's just the way it is. You've got to get that first month right. Yahweh's plan of redemption is all about a spiritual harvest. The dominant theme running all the way through the Bible is planting, growing, reaping, maybe some cultivation in there, maybe some uh, uh, pruning thrown in. But it's all agricultural. But that motif is carried over into looking for his chosen people, the one he calls out. It's all about a spiritual harvest. 
He's predominant, of course, in the Passover. Yahweh's called out people are also called first fruits harvest, James 1.18, represented by Pentecost, of whom of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Pentecost, feast of first fruits, points to the harvest of those called out. See, Yahshua's the first first of the first fruits. He's he's big in Passover, first of unleavened bread. Then comes Pentecost, feast of first fruits. This is the first fruits of the wheat, because it matures later. They represent Yahweh's people. Then in the end, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the Feast of Ingathering, is when all can have a resurrected part if they are chosen by Yahweh. They're the general harvest. So that's what we've got here. This time commemorates the giving of the law at Sinai because if you count it out, you know how long it took them to leave Egypt and go to Sinai. It was about the same amount of time that it comes after Passover and before the Feast of uh, First Fruits, Pentecost. So it's, the Jews assume, and it's not spelled out specifically, but that's the time they would be at Sinai. And what happened there? The big thing there was giving of the law. Which Israel ratified under the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was sent to the earth to help us obey those laws. See, we're tying the new, two, the, new, the two, the new, and the old together. Ezekiel 36, 27 prophesies, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So that's why the spirit's there, so that we can obey him. We need a little help. We're a little bit weak on our own, you know. We, we need that help. We need that fortitude. We need that still small voice telling us, uh-uh, don't go there. When that voice is going to be called out, Isaiah 30 says, when you go to the right, you go to the left, you know, you go off the path, it's going to say, wait a minute, this is the way, walk you in it. Who's that? It's possibly the first fruits, Yahweh's people, resurrected to help as a kingdom of priests, these people in the millennium. And that could be you and me, if we're faithful, to help. Help guide, help learn the ways of the kingdom. Maybe that's why laying out of hands after baptism to receive the Spirit is not so dominant today, predominant, I should say. I know a lot of churches don't do it. And I'm wondering if the Spirit is to help us obey and they don't like to obey, putting it together, why have a laying out of hands for the Spirit? I don't know, I just... Maybe I've got it all wrong, but it just seems to fit real well there. Uh, they don't want to be law-keeping. But also notice Romans 8, 11, But if the spirit of him that raised up Yasha from the dead dwell in you, he that has raised up Messiah from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So I tell, you know, you have to have the spirit or you won't be resurrected. That's very clear from Romans 8, 11. Like a big magnet, he's going to go hover and pick up all those people that also have the Spirit and bring them to himself. You won't see the first resurrection without that Spirit unless Paul lied to us in Romans 8.11 and other places too. In Acts 2.39, Peter confirms that 
the called out ones will be heirs to the kingdom. Heirs, that, that means they're like uh, the firstborn. They, they haven't, you know, uh, a part in being heirs to a promise. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as Yahweh or Elohim shall call. This is Acts 2.39. And I think those all who are called off, he's talking about us. We're all way off from where they were in time. But they will be heirs. We will be heirs to the kingdom as well. It didn't just stop at that point in history. It goes on. The ecclesia. Of course, the, the improperly rendered church, and that's a pagan word from Circe, the goddess. Um, by the way, the goddess who is on top of our state capital, by the way. I was sure glad when they took it off, even if just temporary, because uh, that was the goddess of agriculture and a few other things, too. And they're, they're going to take it off and clean it. And somebody wrote it. I should have brought that article. Somebody wrote a letter to the editor. And so why don't they have a statue of J.C. up there? Of course, this is a big Catholic town down here. They would think that way. But just to get that thing off is progress, but it's going to go back up. You know, as soon as they get it cleaned up, they're working on the outside, tuck pointing or whatever they do. But anyway, the assembly is being called out of the world now to become priests under the coming rulership of Yasha. But we're not yet in the kingdom. Some people think this is the kingdom. If this is the kingdom, I don't want any part of it. But uh, those in the Ecclesia Assembly are heirs of the kingdom, joint heirs with Messiah, and are training now. In training now. That's why things are so tough. You know, we're learning Hebrew, and uh, it's hard. <laughs> I have to admit, I've taken some foreign languages, but boy, oh boy. And I guess Greek is even harder. But here you've got a whole, yeah, first of all, you've got to learn a whole new alphabet. All the, the symbols and all, all of that. And then you got to learn what those symbols, how they're pronounced. And when you got the pronunciation right, then you got to learn the vocabulary. And then you got to learn the grammar and how these things fit together into a, you know, a, a, a sentence that makes sense. And it's a lot of work. And sometimes we wonder, why do I have to suffer these things? Why doesn't my family agree with me? Why do my friends think I'm weird? We're in training now. We're, quote, learning Hebrew, so to speak, of Yahweh's ways. And it's tough because the world doesn't want to learn it. It wants to go that way, and we want to go this way. So they don't get it. They don't get what we're doing. Some do. Some will. Some will listen. And we hear stories. You know, I've heard some here how they talk to somebody downtown or something, and they were interested. Really? I never thought about that. I always wondered about that. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe I can uh, dig into that. But we aren't in the kingdom yet. Many prophets were given visions of the latter days and future deliverance of Yahweh's people. They knew. This is Old Testament, by the way. And we're talking about not just salvation, but also about our day. And they knew it. They heard it. They talked about it. Yahweh has pronounced all this great evil against us. Why? Or what is our sin that we have committed against Yahweh our Elohim? Then shall you say unto them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, says Yahweh, and have walked after other mighty ones, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, you walk everyone after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not, they may not, 
hearken unto me, Jeremiah 16. You know, it's so easy just to say, I'll, I'll let the church explain it to me. I'll let my minister explain it to me. He'll be my salvation. Um, when we stand before Yahweh, I'll say, hey, uh, uh, Pastor, blah, blah, come on up and, and talk and tell me. Tell Yahshua just what kind of person I was. You know, vouch for me. I guess that's what they're thinking. I, I don't know. Not knowing it's going to be you and him if you're not in that first resurrection. And you're going to have to explain yourself. But there is an easy way, and they think they've found it. But when people today read this prophecy against Israel's apostasy, they get the idea that it only refers to ancient Israel. Only those people back then that I just kind of forget about because it's Old Testament. They don't realize this prophecy is directed against perverting Scripture today. Because, you know, when you look at prophecy, it's almost always dual. People say, well, that apply back to then or does it apply now? Probably applies both because man doesn't change. And they're doing the same things now as they were doing back then. So uh, they were walking after other mighty ones back then. What do they do today? Same thing, only in different ways. As long as it's not for Yahweh, it's against Yahweh. And if you're walking after a certain lifestyle or whatever, you've got your own idol going. Serving mighty ones called G-O-D and L-O-R-D. Jeremiah 23, 27 says that comes right from Baal. L-O-R-D comes from Baal. Look it up in the uh, NIV even mentions it. It's amazing. Uh, But anyway, uh, most nominal churches would maintain that their worship is of the Bible, is of the true mighty one. However, when clear, explicit verses are are, uh, presented, such as Exodus 23.11, commanding Yahweh's people to keep the sabbatical years, to keep the seventh-day Sabbath, not to utter the names of pagan mighty ones, um, all these things, to keep the annual holy days, Almost to a person, they'll shrug it off and say, that's not for us. That's Old Testament. Doesn't matter in the New new Covenant. Didn't you just say you worship the true Elohim? What does he want? He doesn't change. He wants the same thing. He says in Malachi, I change not. Malachi 6, I change not. But you're consumed because you won't follow me. Finding shortcuts, that's a typical human approach to almost anything. Like, like water running downhill. It'll find the easiest route to go. Ever watch that? I remember a kid playing out in puddles and stuff. You pour water in a dry hill, and it goes in its little rivers, and it goes down the lowest parts and the ones without obstacles, and that's how man works. Easiest way possible. Preach an easy road to salvation. That's popular. That'll get a lot of people. I'll get hundreds of thousands of people. Curtis was telling me in Houston where he's from, become a big hotbed of easy religion, easy feelism, uh, you know, mega churches that don't require anything. It's mostly just a big club of entertainment. He said it's just more and more it's getting that way. He said he can't find anybody who wants to preach the truth or, or live the truth. And that's repeated over and over and over across this whole nation. It's all becoming a dry hole when it comes to the truth. But there are those who are searching, and they are finding us. 
We make it available as, as hard as we can on the internet and all the different media, all the different platforms. We try to put it on everything. We're actually going to where the kids are, you know, <laughs> their little devices. D TV is uh, not quite like it used to be. We found that just it's there, but mostly for people my age, you know. Kids aren't going to sit and watch a religious program on TV, not very many anyway. But boy, they'll find it maybe on the device. And yeah, you got an app, you know, you got an app for it. But uh, it's an easy road to salvation. That's what's popular, and it draws millions, but it doesn't wash with Yahweh. That's the problem. It's a dead end. It doesn't work with him. He doesn't accept shortcuts. He doesn't want that because that's not the truth. That's like, that's like, look, I made the, made the analogy of we're in training now, like, like, you know, learning his kingdom. And that's like the guy that comes up, you know, and says, oh, here, here's the answer to the, the test here. Shortcut. Oh, but I didn't learn anything. I just learned what the answer was. I didn't, I didn't have to go through the school of hard knocks to, to find out what was the lesson behind these questions. I just got the answers and wrote them down. And that's kind of like people wanting shortcuts to the truth. It's just grace. Oh, that covers everything. Faith. That, you know, got to have faith and grace. Sure you do, but what does that mean? What does that mean, Martin Luther? What does that mean, Calvin? What does it mean when you taught that? You throw out obedience and you got faith alone, Martin Luther. But it doesn't wash with Yahweh. He's a... His is the doctrine of self-discipline, of overcoming our sinful nature. We have to change within. That's the whole point. No shortcuts. No quick answer sheet. No quick response. We have to change within, and that takes time. It takes learning. It takes effort. It takes the school of hard knocks, not just easy street. Overcoming our sinful natures. He expects us to keep his Sabbath and holy days throughout all our lives once we understand the truth. And that is not easy for those that are here who has family, friends, who don't get it, and you tell them you're going to be gone for a week. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. we got things we got to do here. You can just go take it off. Now, if it's Xmas, yeah, everybody takes off. That's easy. That's the shortcut. But, but to come at this time, uh, uh, uh. Uh, no, and the employers especially, they've got their reasons. Oh, you can't go. We're taking inventory. We got everybody here. Uh, you know, but you can't. You can't go. You just can't go. And they'll test you. You know, I always tell the story of my dad, and uh, I'll say it one more time if you're tired of hearing it. But uh, he he worked for a pharmaceutical company, and they had a big regional meeting out west. All the western states were to come together someplace, Los Angeles or something. And the boss, the big boss, comes on and says, everybody will be here. And unless you, if you don't come, when you come back to work, you won't have a job. And of course, guess when it was? Right in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. Like, all these seem to work that way. So he, he said, well, we're going. And we traveled from out west all the way to Pennsylvania when they were holding it. There weren't that many groups out there at that time doing it. So we did, and uh, he got back from the feast, went back to work. Nobody ever said a thing. See, they test you, and you've got to say, I'm sticking with the word. I have to. This is my salvation. I can't play with it. 
I can't, for anybody's sake, other than Yahweh's, do what I need to do. That's the kind of resolve you got to have. They'll adjust to it. They'll get used to it. They'll adjust. But once you get in, give in once, guess what? You went last year, or you went, you've already done it. You know, you know, you're coming to me and saying, all of a sudden the rules have changed in your life? No, you, you just say, I can't go. I, I, I can't, I mean, I can't stay. I got to go. And so, you know, uh, Isaiah 10, 24, therefore says Yahweh, Elohim of hosts, my people that dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite you with a rod and shall lift up his staff against you after the manner of Egypt. Don't be afraid of the world. Do what you got to do for Yahweh because it's your life. It's your salvation. Hebrews 10.22 clearly shows that the true people of Yahweh are referred to as those in Zion. Again, Old Testament terminology. These saints will undergo a future persecution and tribulation under the hand of the Assyrian, as did ancient Israel. They'll be delivered with a mighty hand, just as the Israelites were from Egypt. Quote, and it shall come to pass in that day that Yahweh shall set his hand against the second time, again the second time, to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Etham and or Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is prophecy. This is future. We're going to see it all over again. We're going to see redemption. We're going to see Yahweh taking charge again, as he did with Israel out of Egypt. And then read verse 16. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 16. Note it's going to be a remnant, just a small group, leftover group, that will be left as he sets his hand to recover his people once again. He will be known as the one who saved his people. From the north country, not as the Elohim who saved his people from Egypt at this time. These, these events are going to surpass anything the world has ever seen. Disobedience has a price. Obedience is for all eternity. Because the world isn't obedient in keeping Yahweh's feast days as Yahweh commands, the result, well, Howl ye, for the day of Yahweh is at hand, and it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Behold, the day of Yahweh comes cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light, and the sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Where does this come from? Revelation? Matthew 24? No. This is future, but it's from Isaiah 13, 6, and 9 to 10. The Old Testament's dead? <laughs> the Old Testament is future. Think about it. Yahweh himself spoke of this time in the Olivet Prophet, I should say Yahshua, in Matthew 24, 29. Notice he begins in verse 21, stating, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. If he 
populates all the planets of the universe and people living on all those planets and going through like what we do. We don't know what they're out there for, but he doesn't create anything in vain. It'll never be this bad. We're going to be the example <laughs> that they're all going to look to and say, remember, remember Earth back in the 2000s? Remember what happened? We'll be, a, we'll, be a, we'll be the example of not what not to do. I hate to say that, but that's the way it is because it's never going to be like this again. Verse 24 shows that the elect or chosen people are still on the earth for he speaks of false messiahs, false prophets who will show great signs and wonders that will be so astounding and real that if it were possible, even the elect could be sucked into it. So the SDAs, when they say the earth is going to be desolate, no, they're wrong. There's still going to be people on the earth at that time in the tribulation. Now, we think we'll be protected because that's what we're promised, protection on this earth. Was Noah taken up into the moon to get away from the, the flood or uh, uh, Israel? You know, Were they removed from Goshen, the first three plagues? Were they, you know, or did they have to suffer the flies, the, the blood, the frogs? No, they had to suffer because it said that the plagues went out to the coasts of Egypt. And they were in Egypt. And then after that, Yahweh shut it off and said, I'll be your protection. So they didn't have to worry about the last seven plagues. Yahweh never removes people to some other planet or to the sky. We are protected right here, which shows his glory. We talked about, we've been studying Gideon, you know. He says, oh, you got too many. You got, what, 32,000 or whatever. You got way too many. Oh, we got 3,000. That's way too many. Carve it down to 300 and watch me. And he did that so that they would know his glory. They would see him in action and not rely on numbers like so many do. Oh, we had such a big army. That's why we wiped them out. No, we had a little few. And Yahweh, you know, like they say, um, use your mind instead of your brawn. And that's what Yahweh does. He figures it out mentally how to overcome. And how would Israel ever think the Red Sea in front of them, the mountains over here, and the biggest army in the world right on their tail? We're done. That's man's thinking. We're done. What does Yahweh do? Interesting, just fascinating. He opens up the sea, drives it out. They walk across and uses the same sea to kill the, the enemy, wiping them out with the same water. There's a lot of metaphors in that, but... Uh, you know, it's, just, it's amazing what Yahweh does. Yahshua himself spoke of this time in the Olivet Prophecy, Matthew 24, 29. Notice that he begins in verse 21 stating, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. It shows that the elect or chosen people are still on the earth, still having to deal with the tribulation, but maybe on the wings of an eagle taken to a place of safety. If you're faithful... I believe that's what you, he will do. He, he's not going to allow his poor people to be wiped out. Well, there may be a few martyrs that have to go through it. It says that. But um, the majority, they're going to uh, be saved in a place somewhere of safety. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for the enemy either. I mean, when the moon goes dark, sun goes dark, uh, they're going to be just uh, beside themselves in fear. 
This is also seen in Joel 2.31. It's a time of Yahweh's wrath upon a lawless, arrogantly rebellious world. Many times Isaiah refers to the end of the age when Yahweh's wrath is poured out on a sin-filled world. He's going to repay the sins of his adversaries with fury. I would not want to be them. Isaiah 59, verse 18. So shall they fear the name of Yahweh from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. That's from the other end. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of Yahweh shall lift up a standard against him. And the redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob and Israel, says Yahweh. Yahweh promises deliverance for his people. He doesn't promise they're going to be raptured off into the sky. He doesn't promise that. He's going to pour out fury on the enemies, and they're going to see it. And so will his people. But he does promise protection for overcoming now. See, it's not just a pointless exercise with us being here. And, you know, there's so many indications that he's going to come at a moed, a time appointed, Either Feast of Trumpets, you know, that, that per- fits perfectly, the warning sound of the trumpet, last trump and all that. Or it could be some other feast, some say Pentecost. You know, first fruits people, I guess that's where they, maybe one of the ways they get that is the first fruits of his people represented at Pentecost. But however it's going to be, if you're there, hey, <laughs> you know, he gathers his people and you're there. If you're not there, I fear for you. He promises untold glory for those who remain steadfast. Isaiah 61, we find the same verse that Yahshua quoted when he began his public ministry. The spirit of Yahweh is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, freedom, those that are bruised, those that have gone through so much suffering and trials, to preach the acceptable year of Yahweh. What is the acceptable year? I think it's either sabbatical or jubilee. Each of them fits, especially jubilee, because that's when the the slaves are freed and all of that. Of course, the debts are forgiven, and they go back to their land. They reclaim their land that Yahweh gave them. Yahshua stopped in the middle of that second verse, but it's so obvious he was speaking of the sabbatical in this prophecy. He always brings events about according to his timetable. My wife was asking just today, I guess it was, when is the next sabbatical year? Well, we've, we've kind of taken historical look at it, trying to figure, you know, into the modern. And uh, it seems to be those years divisible by seven. I don't know how... Next year figures in. My mind is not good enough to do that mentally, but uh, somewhere, I don't know, it's coming up. But anyway, I mean, that's just speculation. The best we can do, we don't know, because Israel never kept them like they should have. We have no record historically when they were. So we just kind of have to fly by the seat of our pants. Yahweh always brings events according to his timetable. He's got the timetable. He knows when it is. Not even Yahshua, not even the angels know. Only Yahweh knows the day he's coming back. So he's kept that to himself. You know what happened. You know, man, if we knew exactly when it was coming, 
You know, it would be pandemonium. Life would be almost impossible if they knew Yahweh was coming on October 20th. Don't, don't use that. I just, I just threw that out there. I just threw it out there. I don't even know when that is. <laughs> but you know what man would do? I mean, he purposely wants us. Yahshua said they wanted to know, the disciples, when's he coming? When are you coming back? He says, first thing out of his mouth. He didn't say, get out your cal- calculators, get off your ab- abacuses. And, you no, know, he said, be not deceived. Be not deceived, which means you're going to have to be looking. And then he says, watch. Watch for the signs. When you see these things come to pass, know that the end is near. So it's all about involvement in our faith. And, you know, I, we talked about that here at this feast, too. When you can call up the U.S. Naval Observatory and find out when the vernal equinox is, they're doing the work for you, Right? When you, when you uh, say, well, when did Israel see the new moon? They're doing the work for you. When we have to do it, it's part of our worship. And I say, we're out looking for the moon. That's part of worship. When we keep these feasts, <coughs> that's part of worship. We can't let others do it for us. The only thing we, we can, because there's no other way, is to have someone find the barley for us. And the best place to look is Israel because anywhere else it's going to be different. You know, you're going to have barley different in the southern United States as compared to the northern tier, and it could be way off as far as uh, weeks go. So that's the only thing we can figure. But we, we keep the Sabbath as it comes to us. When the sun, you know, starts to set in our horizon, we know the Sabbath. We keep the moon as it comes to us. When we see the new moon, then we know. We can't say, well, I know I see the sliver up there, but that ain't it. Uh, They haven't seen it in Israel yet. Huh? He says, watch for it. You're specifically to watch for it. If I can't watch for it, I break that command, right? I have to watch for it. But he doesn't say that specifically about the green ears. All he does say is, when it's in Abib, then you know you are in the month called Abib. And by the way, uh, as I just learned this year, the definite article, the hay... And the uh, and the uh, the vowel point, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. The hay starts every place you find abib. It means the the abib. It doesn't. It's not talking so much about the name of a month, but it's contracted that. But it talks about the abib, which means there's a stage of abib. Okay. Doesn't say an abib, the abib. So that means there's something specific, something particular you look for, and it's every place except one, where the word abib is found in the Old Testament. But uh, um, anyway, um, where was I? Well, they tell us the feasts have no significance in the new covenant. Never mind, Yahshua kept them. Never mind, the apostles kept them. Never mind, Yahshua said, "I'm going to keep." Pass over with you in the kingdom. Never mind all he did in the example. It's like, okay, I'm going through this whole evangel. I'm going to show you how to, you know, how we, we worship Yahweh. And then he says, okay, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be dying and going back to my father. So everything that I taught you for three and a half years, just ignore it. It's all going to be a wash. I wasted my time. There's no reason I did this, really. I just did it. Just because... Just wanted to show you something neat. No, he did it because he is our pattern. He is our teacher. He is what we follow. 
So if he did it, we do it. It's not hard. Because someday, as our judge, he's going to sit there and say, Now, what did you learn from me? Um, I learned that you died so I didn't have to do anything. Really? And I wasted my time. All those words in the Bible that I spoke and were inspired, that was all for nothing, right? Um, That's what my minister said. Well, guess what? Minister was wrong. And then now it's too late because you've already lived your life and you, your example is, is, is up for review. And uh, Well, anyway. You know, our goal is to be in that everlasting kingdom. And that's, it's all patterned out by the feast days. All explained by the different feast days and how they work. It's fascinating. And they wouldn't even tell us about that when we were in church. They wouldn't even talk about it except... Pentecost, of course, because that is the, quote, birth of the church, they say, when the Holy Spirit came. Don't tell you that the Holy Spirit was already in action way back, even for the guy who's making the ark, who had a, he was a very gifted craftsman, carpenter craftsman, and Yahweh made him better because he gave him the spirit. David said, don't take your spirit from me. I blew it. Please don't take your spirit from me. It was already in action back then. His spirit was already there. Where did the church begin? 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said the the church was in the wilderness. The assembly with Ecclesia is in the wilderness. He called Israel the Ecclesia of Yahweh. The church, quote unquote, in modern terminology, was already there, already working. See, there's there's not this big division that people like to... Put there between Old and New Testament. What was before still is. What is was there before. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to cut this a little shorter because we have some more activity. But um, at the end of a feast, we always have the benediction, the ironic benediction found in uh, Roman uh, number six. Get it right. Um, which is talking about the um, Nazarite. Nazarite, uh, what he could do and couldn't, couldn't do, couldn't eat, couldn't eat grapes, couldn't eat this and that for the vow that he took. And uh, toward the end of that then, we have this, this uh, blessing. So I want to, if everyone would stand, I'll read this. We always do this after a feast because you are blessed when you come to the feast. You will be blessed. We've heard it time and time again. People said, I went back and, wow, I couldn't believe it. Yahweh blessed me and my family, even though they weren't here. He blessed us all because the family is sanctified by the believer. The children are sanctified. He said that it's that way because else your children were unclean. So anyway, um, I'll read this as we typically do and then turn it back over to Hosea. Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel. Saying unto them, Yahweh bless thee and keep thee. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. It's been wonderful having you all here. Yeah, we bless you.